I just feel like we're going to get somewhere real good tonight um, as we look at the Word of God and really, uh, yeah, just encounter some stuff. We're going to do Q&A tonight because of the subject. We're going to do question and answer directly after the sermon, so please be switched on. Um, uh, it will be content heavy tonight. It's normally content medium. When he said I'll be preaching between 20 and 30 minutes and then he fell off my chair laughing, there's no way I'm preaching that short tonight. It's going to be long. Um, but it's going to be good. All right? So Lord of the Rings is long, but it's good. Yeah? So, but it won't be three hours. Seriously, some people say, some people say, oh, I can't concentrate for more than like 10 minutes. Um, what they're really saying is, is I can't concentrate on something boring for more than 10 minutes. No one can. No one can. But we can all concentrate on something stimulating and good that lasts a long time, can't we? Yeah, so it's going to be good. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. All right. So we're working through the book of Malachi. If you haven't been with us before, uh, just to let you know, we're going through a series on the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. This is the penultimate week, so next week is the last session of Malachi. And um, very, very brief overview. We're talking about 400 years before Jesus came, uh, where the Jews have very recently um, returned from exile in Babylon. And uh, they've built their temple and are disappointed with what's been built. Uh, They've rebuilt their city and they're disappointed with what's been rebuilt. Um, They are under the cosh in terms of on a military front. They're no longer a world power. And they begin to question the faithfulness of God. Why aren't we being blessed? Why why do the other nations seem to be blessed more than us? Um, Why isn't God doing what he said he would do? And what begins to get into their spirit is cynicism and disappointment. And it begins to lead to all kinds of uh, bad behavior. And that's really the way it goes. If something goes wrong in your heart, then the bad behavior comes. That's why when you're helping people, it's no point just just getting to people's actions. You need to get behind that. What's going on in your heart? Because, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And also out of what you're thinking and your perceptions is what you do and how you live. And so... The people in Malachi's time, they begin doing, um, they're just backsliding. You know, they're God's people, but in their heart, they're divorcing from God. They're getting cold, they're getting hard, they're going through the motions. And God has to call them back through the prophet Malachi. And so, we're going to just pick it up in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. And we're going to look at something very specific today. Um, One specific area where they are backsliding. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you... O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes and you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and in your contributions. You're cursed with the cursed, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I'll rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Money. That's where we're going today. Um, if you are visiting us and you're from a church that preaches about money every week, 
Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some churches do. I think this is my first sermon on money in three years. So just to let you know, that's, we don't make a habit of speaking about it loads, um, but it's, it's part of the picture. So you get the situation here. Um, it's pretty clear what's going on is, is that God is charging them with robbing him. And uh, we're going to look into that as we go through the day's message. Normally what I'll do in a, in a text like this, I'll just work through the text. But I think we probably all need to take a step back and just understand money from a kingdom perspective, stewardship, what is tithing, is tithing relevant for Christians, how much should a Christian give, all of these things we probably need to work through. So because of that, I'm not going to unpack it, I'm simply going to read it and say, look, for the, in this situation they're being charged by God. Why? Because part of their covenant obligation, they were in covenant partnership with God, part of the obligation, had to, money was a part of it. And they weren't being faithful. And so God pulls them up on it. And so we're going to just go through the whole Bible <laughs> in one sense tonight, just going from the start right through to towards the end, just picking out scriptures just so you understand you get the big picture tonight. So we're not going to dig in in loads of depth into this passage, but you get what's going on. God basically says, if you straighten out on this, I will bless you beyond what you can imagine. And I'm, this is the only thing in the Bible where God says, test me. In fact, elsewhere, we're told not to put the Lord our God to the test. But on this occasion, God says, actually, I want you to test me on this, because this is a big one, and people tend to get really either freaked out or scared or weirded out when it comes to money and God, either through bad experience or through um, disappointment or through dodgy uh, preaching um, on it and led them to wrong expectations or guilt. And we want to just deal with all of that so that you leave here tonight really understanding God's heart for money. You up for that? Of course you are. All right. Well, um, let's start in the best place to start, which is Genesis chapter 1. Um the beauty of the first two chapters of Genesis is that we see life without sin, and also you see that in the last two chapters of Revelation. So if you're thinking, I really want to read my Bible, and I really would love to know ideally how, how life should be, uh, just read the first two and the last two chapters in the whole book, and you'll get a feel for that. Just a little bit of a tip there for you. But let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, just so you understand who you are, what you are. This is vital. You need to know what you are, why you are here. 127, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now what's going on here? Here's what God's saying. I've made people in my image. And then directly after that, he says, now go and rule creation. So what that's teaching us is this. The primary way that we reflect God's image is that we rule creation on his behalf. That's how it works. So God who created creation and who owns creation, the Bible says the earth and everything in it belongs to him, it's all his. Every possession, every pound note, every item of clothing, every bit of food, it's all his. But then what he does is he creates us and he says, I want you to represent me and steward well what I entrust you. In fact, I want you to demonstrate my benevolent rule. This is my creation. I rule it. I own it. I want you to demonstrate by the way you are what kind of a God I am. I want people to be able to see you, hear the way you speak, see the way you live, and say, man, there is a God in heaven and he's good. 
Wonderful, isn't it? This is the big picture. Who am I? Why am I here? Well, you have been made in God's image, and you are here to reflect his nature and his benevolent rule. You are called to rule over creation and subdue it on his behalf. Because it's on his behalf, there's a sense in which we're accountable. We should do it with trembling and do it well because we, we are answerable to him. But nevertheless, he's given us an authority to exert that rule. So, fundamentally, we are to steward everything that we are and everything that we have to the glory of God. That's the big picture. You got that? All right. Haze has. Great. Let's now move on to Genesis chapter 12, where we see the calling of a man called Abraham. And God calls him. And it's very important if you're a Christian that you understand about the calling of Abraham, because the Bible says later on in Galatians and Romans and other books that if you're a Christian, you're a child of Abraham, and the promises that God gave Abraham are for you. Very important. So Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I will bless you and make you a blessing. That's God's calling to Abraham. I want to bless you. And you know what? Actually, Abraham became exceedingly rich. And Abraham's son Isaac, when he arrived in a new place, he sowed in a field seed, he was an agricultural, and in one year he reaped a hundredfold harvest. That's impressive. God is very happy to bless. But it doesn't end there. I will bless you and make you a... Right. The idea is, is that God says, I'm going to bless you, and out of that blessing, you are to be a blessing. So it doesn't just stop with you. No, 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 no. It flows through you. It's very important because you can get, fall into wrong mentalities. First wrong mentality, God doesn't want to bless me. Oh, I'll just get by. I'll just make do. No. God wants to bless you. All right? He's good and he's got an abundant supply and he wants to bless you. Are you all right with that? I've met a lot of people who say they are, but they're not. They feel uncomfortable with it, actually. They don't like it. Oh, no, no, let, let, look, let God bless someone else first. He's got enough for them and you. There's no shortage. He wants to bless you. So get over that wrong mentality. Second wrong mentality, great. God wants to bless me. Pile it on, pile it on. Build it up, build it up, build it up. Oh, lovely. No. God wants to bless you so that with what he's blessed you, you can be a blessing. So it's not like a pond, it's like a river, all right? It flows through you and out to others. And the more that you get your head straight on that, the more God can entrust you with and bless you with. Why? Because he knows it's going to be done, it's, it's going to be stewarded well. He knows that what God gives you won't be hoarded up, you won't be selfish, but you will extend it out. And so we see that in creation, Genesis 1, God wants to extend his rule through us. Through the Abrahamic promise, God wants to extend his favour through us. People that come into contact with us should touch the favour and the grace of God. Why? Because if you're a believer, you live under the favour and grace of God. Yeah? And so you overflow out of it. And you've got to get your head around this. Because, I've, uh, you know, I mean, I've done it myself. As a, you know, but as a Christian, what you can do is you can just slot in to the mindset of everyone else. Oh, it's a life idol. Yeah, terrible. And moan about everything. Especially if you're English. English love to moan. They love to moan. Don't they? You know, the weather's grey and rainy. Oh, 
Look at the weather. Oh, it's terrible, terrible. And then the sun comes out. Oh, boiling. How are you supposed to breathe in weather like this? What is that? What it is is this. It's a mentality that just loves to moan. If you're a believer, you're living under the blessing and the favour of God. Be happy about it. Yeah? It's not a big, it's not rocket. Just enjoy the blessing of God. And let others that come into contact with you enjoy that blessing too. Amen? It's very simple. It's a beautiful thing. So, so we got that. And then when Moses comes in and you get all the Ten Commandments and all the big laws and all of that, what happens is then is that the whole construct of tithing is officially introduced. Now what is tithing? Here's what it is. God, through Moses, leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They go through the wilderness and then into the promised land. When they get in the land, God gives 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel plots of land. It's their inheritance. God says, I've got this for you. 11 of the 12 tribes have huge plots of land that they can uh, farm, they can till the soil, they can create wonderful produce and live off of it and enjoy the land. There's one tribe that gets no land at all. They're called Levi. Why? Well, the Levites, God says, I am your inheritance, no land. And their role was really to uh, spiritual service. They would look after the tabernacle and the sanctuary. They would be the priests who would come from the tribe of Levi. They'd do the offerings. Not only that, they would study the, 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 the laws of God and they would teach the people. And really, that was what they gave themselves to so that they couldn't give themselves to uh, farming, etc., etc. And so what would happen is every one of the 11 tribes, they would take the first 10%, the first 10% of their produce, and they would bring it to the house of the Lord, and it would provide for the Levites. So the Levites could serve the Lord and be free to concentrate on the scriptures and teaching and serving and sacrifices, knowing that they wouldn't go hungry because the other tribes are providing for them. Out of the Levites' 10%, they would take 10% and offer it up as a grain offering, etc., etc., to the Lord. Okay? That's how the tithe worked. There was a second tithe, which isn't being referred to in Malachi, where the other tribes also... Um, they would save a tenth by, so that when the feasts and festivals came, um, they could not just provide for themselves, but also for the widow, for the fatherless, and for those travelling among them that had no land to farm themselves. So it was make sure the poor didn't get overlooked. But that's how tithing worked, and it was a beautiful, beautiful system. If you want to read in detail, Numbers 18 and Deuteronomy 14. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you. Under the new covenant in Christ, do we still tithe? Now, sure, I'm not pretending. We all know that most of us, we don't bring sacks of grain to church, you know, for the pastor. I know that. I understand that. But what I'm asking is, are we under covenant obligation to give the first 10% of our wages to the church and spiritual things? Are we? Well, in the New Testament, there is no teaching whatsoever on tithing. It doesn't say once that we ought to tithe. So my conclusion is, no. So the rest of the sermon, we're going to look at what is our covenant obligation. But before I go on, let me just say this. When I became a Christian, I went to a church that taught tithing. So I'm going along to a new member's kind of course thing over six weeks, and one, one, one week it's the money week, you know, and they teach 10% of, of, your, of your earnings. I was like, what? I'd never heard anything like it, and it was very helpful. Even though now, looking back, I'd say I don't think it was right. Very helpful. Why? Here's why. If I'd never been taught that, what would have been my approach to giving? Here's what it would have been. I would have gone along to church, and then as the offering basket, offering basket came by, I would have gone, oh, and then rummaged around and thought, what have I got, you know? Oh, 48p group. What's, you know, what's in my pocket? You know, oh, I'll, I'll give that. 
what the teaching on tithing taught me was a few very helpful things that I think are excellent. Number one, that we're to give intentionally. Not just, oh, been caught out again. Oh, we're, 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 no, but it's, we're to be intentional about it. Number two, that it's something that we do with our first fruits. There's a firstness about it. If you say, before anything else, I recognise everything good I've got has come from the Lord. I want to sow back into what the Lord is doing as by means of priority. They were principles that I think are excellent new covenant principles that I learned. I think the difficulty with tithing is what you can tend to do is this. You get your wages or your money or however it works or, and you just move the decimal point. Yeah? So, you know, so you get £100, you move the decimal point. <laughs> okay, donk, 10. Give 10. And it can become very exacting and calculated rather than seeking God, Lord, what do you want me to give? Which I think is more the new covenant model. So we're going to look at some new covenant principles for giving and then we're going to go for Q&A. Still awake? All right, Matthew chapter 6, here we go. We'll start at uh, Matthew chapter 6, we'll go from verse 1. Here we go. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So don't wave it all around so you can be seen as the generous guy. Oh, needy person, let me just give to you. Don't do that. Why? Well, it's not just embarrassing... Okay, but what it demonstrates is something in you where you actually, you're trying to um, find a sense of worth and a sense of feeling like, you know, you're accepted by what others think about you, which demonstrates a lack of faith. It demonstrates unbelief and a lack of faith. Because what you're saying is you're saying that actually I, I haven't got the kind of faith in God that would let me give in secret and know that God sees and will reward me. Look at the motivation here. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Please don't try and be more holy than Jesus on this one. I'll give secretly, but please do it. There's no need. That can sound real holy, can't it? You know, really, Lord, there must be others more needy than me. Jesus says here, give in secret. Why? Your father wants to reward you. Isn't that selfish? What? Jesus said it, right? It's good. It's good. And so it's not wrong to look for a reward from heaven when you give. It's not wrong. It's faith. God loves it. Let's look at verse 19 of the same chapter. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, Jesus is saying, Jesus isn't saying don't lay up treasure for yourselves. He's just saying if you're going to do it, be clever about it. Don't lay up down here. Why not? Well, you get too many clothes, and moths are going to get them. Yeah? You get really excited. Oh, oh look, this amazing car. Well, it's great, but you know what's going to happen in a few years? The rust's going to get in. All these possessions. You go on holiday. And thieves have been watching you, they know you're away, they're going to break in. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. 
don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it's in there. I'm simply, um, the reason why it's going to be massively Bible heavy tonight is because so many things can be preached on money and people, oh, is that just the preacher's opinion? I'm just unpacking the scripture. Okay? Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. Also, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Maybe you're a Christian and you think, you know what, my heart just doesn't feel engaged in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't feel engaged. I feel this kind of coldness. It may not be to do with money, but it may be. It may be that you're actually not investing your treasure in the kingdom of heaven, but you're investing it in earthly things. And so your heart gets more drawn towards earthly things. It's worth thinking about. It could be you. Let's, uh, let's move on to... Um, same chapter, verse 31. Therefore don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? A necessity. Or what shall we drink? A necessity. Or what shall we wear? A necessity. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now we're getting really close to the bone. We're talking necessities now. Don't get worked up about food, drink, and clothes. Why not? Your father knows you need them. He knows. So don't get worked up. So what, what should I be really going for, thinking about giving my time to? The kingdom and his righteousness. Yeah? And then the father will then provide for you. Then these things will be added to you. I mean, I'm really just repeating what it says in here. I don't even say anything new, am I? But it's kind of radical. It's very, very radical. There's something to be done. There's a decision to be made. There's something here to be tussled through and think, am I going to do this? And if so, how can I work out how to do that? We'll get into practicalities, I'm sure, if I don't do the sermon we will with when it comes to, to Q&A. And then look at Luke 6. This is beautiful. This is very good. Luke 6. Jesus again. Judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, verse 37, and you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now here Jesus is calling you to do four difficult things. Number one, don't judge. That's hard. Judging is when you write someone off. You, you, you categorise someone. Oh, they're like that. And you put them in a box, and you've put them there, and it's like a prison you've created for them. That's when you judge someone. There's nothing wrong with exercising discernment, being aware, okay, a few times now this person has done that. There could be some character things here. You need to be aware of that and just guard things. That's fine. But when you write someone off, they're that. Oh, good for nothing. No hope. It's easy to do, especially if someone's hurt you or let you down. Jesus says, no, don't do that. Then you won't be judged. Then he says, don't condemn either. What does that mean? That means don't accuse. We get into accusing so easy. Don't we? You're so unreliable! Right? Why are you so angry? Because they're unreliable in an area where you're reliable, but I bet you're unreliable in another area. But you're blind to those. Because that's what sin does, it blinds. But you can charge people and accuse people. Jesus says, don't do that. Why not? Well, because then you won't get charged and accused. Big deal, hey? Then he says, forgive. You see why? Well, forgiveness really costs. You don't forgive someone. Uh, in the short term, it seems like the easier option. If you've been really hurt, some of you in this room, you've been hurt bad. That's not me being prophetic. That's just law of averages. You've been hurt bad. 
And there'll be people that come to mind straight away. Parents, teachers, babysitters, friends or so-called, siblings, and you're like, and you feel it straight away. Right? And the thought of forgiveness, you think, you forgive. You don't know what they did. It costs to forgive. It costs you more not to down the line because you end up in torment, in bitterness. But it costs to forgive. Jesus says, you know what, forgive, and guess what? You'll be forgiven. And then he brings in another hard thing. He says, give. Give. And then he says, what? And it will be given to you. Give, and it will be given to you. Abundantly. A good measure. Press down. Shaken together. Into your lap. Overflowing. Bosh. That's the promise. Believe Jesus. Don't get into the thing of, well, I'll give, Lord, but, you know, don't do that. It's not godly. I'll give, Lord, but really, the second half, you know, I'll be fine. You're being proud. You're being self-sufficient. You're being unbelieving. He wants to bless you. Why? So you can give again. Yeah? He wants to bless you. Why? So you can be a... Call on your life. But you are in God. See, we've had situations in my life, I've had situations, I remember when I was on my way to church years ago once, it was a Sunday, on the Tuesday, I had to write out a cheque for £300. I had £160 in the bank and £20 in my wallet. That makes 180 I'm good like that. I'm walking to church and I meet my friend who's on the dole and his gyro hasn't come and he looks at me, you know, puppy dog eyes, you know, and I'm like, oh no. I feel God's sake, come on, give me money. And it's, it's the last thing you want to hear, to be honest. The last thing I wanted to hear. So I thought, well, I've got 20, I'll give him 10. <laughs> so there you go. You know. Went in church, the offering pastor's going around, and I felt, I, tell, I felt the clear prompting from the Holy Spirit again, to my dismay. Give. You know, it's almost like, don't you understand? I said to God, and I literally said this to him. I remember because it was so remarkable. I said, if I'm going to be silly with this, you've got to be silly back. I said it. Put it in within about, it must have been Mac, I, don't know, I can't remember, it was about 15 years ago, but within a, about a minute, someone just came and gave me an envelope with £200 in. It was a remarkable moment. Rem- no one knew my situation. No one knew it. But it was a remarkable moment where my faith in God strengthened. There was another time where I had to be in a place called St. Neots. I had to get there from London. I had no train fare, no money, nothing. And I felt God say to me, don't ask anyone for the train fare. I'm sat in this room, and I'm like, oh, just rock up at the station. You know what I mean? Like, what? But I thought, okay. I said, God, I resolve now, I will ask no one for the money. I'll go out of the room, and then I saw my friend Tony straight away. I said, Tony, he said, I'm fine. He said, yeah, fine. What are you up to at the weekend? He said, I'm heading off to St. Neops. I said, what? He said, yeah, I'm heading off to St. He said, you're joking. I said, then why? He said, I am moving, helping my daughter move, down at the weekend on Saturday from St. Neots to London, but I've got to drive a lorry up there first on Saturday morning. Do you want to live? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> but true. When we started to be married, we felt God say to us, don't ask anyone for a car to go on your honeymoon with. That was quite scary because we didn't have a car of our own. If we had a car of our own, it was fine if God had said that. You know, it's no problem. We, got our own. we didn't have one. Don't ask anyone for a car. 
Now that was fine until it was the day before the wedding. <laughs> then you start asking the questions. Did I hear God? And once you resolve something in your heart like before God, you just got to go all the way. You just got to go all the way. And it was the Friday, and I'm like, oh. I had a prayer meeting with some fellows, and one of them, by the grace of God, by the merciful, hilarious, almost comical provision of God, just said, are you getting on your honeymoon? I said, I don't know. I said, you want my car? I said, yes, please. <laughs> what, those moments, they put something in the bank with God in terms of faith that you never forget. And there have been times since then where we've been in a need, provision need. And the way we've responded is by giving. I remember there was a time a, a parking ticket came through, we just couldn't pay it. We said, what do we do? I said, I know what we do. We've got 20 quid, let's give it away. Why? Because we need to be able to pay the ticket and there's no way we can. So we did it. And then the gift came for the parking ticket. Now, you've got to be sensible and you've got to steward your money, and you've got to work hard, and all of that. But there are moments where either God just wants you to go on an adventure, or circumstances put you in a position, and you need to get on these promises and say, God, I want to learn to really walk with you in this. I tell you what, it's a beautiful and frightening thing. But that's the promise that we're given here. We're going to just look quickly at a passage in 2 Corinthians just to pull out a few principles on giving. How do we give then? How do we, how do we approach it as Christians? What's God looking for? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's boasting about another church and how they've given. This is how he describes it. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You've got this church in Macedonia, they're skin. But Paul's taken up an offering for the church in Jerusalem, which is also skin. And the Macedonians say, we want to give. And you can imagine Paul saying, no, you're fine, you're, you're poor as well. But they entreated and said, please, we want to get involved. What is this? Here it is, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. When you know the grace of God, something happens inside and you want to get involved in what God's doing. And even if naturally you think, well, I've not got much to give, it's something in your heart you want to be involved. It's like when the story I told him, I told it the other week, but it's almost, I want to use it in a different way. Whenever I used to come home and my daughter, my eldest daughter would bring me that bit of Lego. You know, whenever she'd hear the key go in the door, she'd run, hunt around for something, or oh, two bits of Lego and bring it to me. She's wanting to bring something. Why? Well, because something in her heart, she wanted to present something. She wanted to be engaged and involved in, in, with me and with what I was doing. Why? Well, it was something in the heart. Here's the grace of God. When you know the grace of God in your life, when you know that you have been apprehended by him, by name, called by name, when he's got a hold of you, when he's gone, when, he, when he, he's, he's purchased, paid the price for you with the blood of his own son, when he's forgiven all your sin, wiped away your past, cleansed your conscience, when he's put a calling and a destiny on you, when he's given you spiritual gifts, when he said, come and get involved in what I'm doing, be in my family, you can call me Abba Father, 
Come with me, I'm going to protect you forever. No one can snatch you out of my hand. I want you to be with me for eternity. My son's preparing a place for you. When you know you have received all that as a gift, in fact, it was all sealed and sorted before you was even born. It was just in God's heart because he loves you so much. Something happens. You say, do you know what? I want to run with you. And I might feel like I've just got really not much to contribute, but please, if there's anything here you want, have it. Have my two bits of Lego. I want to get involved. Yeah? It's not about, oh, you must give so-and-so amount. Remember the, the poor widow, she gave a couple of coins. It looked pathetic. But Jesus saw, he saw her putting her Lego into the offering. He said, she's amazing. She's amazing. Why? Because she wanted to, she, oh, she wanted to get involved. She was trusting God. She was believing God. So it's the grace of God. And it's summed up in this verse. In, um, it's summed up in verse... Nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that what happened? That he laid aside the glory of heaven, that he became utterly poverty-stricken, all of his needs, hungry, thirsty, naked on the cross, rejected by heaven, rejected by earth, crucified for our sins. There he is, in extreme, utter poverty, homeless for a lot of his uh, ministry. There he is. Why? So you can become rich. So as I tell you, whatever financial situation you are in, if you're a believer, you are rich. Do you want to say amen? amen? I knew you did. I knew you did. You are rich. You are a child of the king. Any need, any genuine need you have that you can't supply, he will take responsibility for. Why? Because you're one of his kids. He loves you if you're a Christian. You're one of his children. You are rich in Christ. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. It's grace. It's all about grace. It's not legalistic. It's not you must give this. And if you don't, God won't like you anymore. Which is the subtle message behind a lot of talks of money I hear. God knows. He knows your situation. Maybe you're here. You're a single parent. You're stretched. Maybe here. You've lost your job. You've got debt up to your neck. He knows. He knows. So he's not going to just land this legalistic thing on you. You give that. Everyone gives. No, here's how you do it. We go on to the next passage, which tells us how we do it. And it's very, very releasing. Chapter 9, verse 6 to 11. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not <coughs> reluctantly. Not under compulsion. Right? Guilt. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Grace. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. You'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see, it's in there again, the Abrahamic thing. Blessed and a blessing. Take your Lego, whatever it is, and say, God, I want to get involved in what you're doing. For some people, putting a pound in the offering or giving a pound to a needy person, that is sowing bountifully. Why? Well, because it might well be your last pound. Whereas someone else might give a tenner, but it's so sparingly. Why? Well, they've got money coming out of their ears. 
You see, that's how it works. It's very important that you understand that. So, we give out of grace, we give cheerfully, and we give trust in that God will supply our needs so we can go on being generous. Amen? Amen. Amen. Three warnings on what not to do with money. First is Luke 12. Verse 15, Jesus said, Take care, be on guard against covetousness. That's lusting after stuff constantly. For one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he told him a parable saying, Land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I've got nowhere to store my crops. He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. God said to him, Fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay? So accumulating for the sake of it is folly. That doesn't mean saving is wrong. Okay? If you want to save, maybe you've got children, daughters you want to save for their wedding, fine, or you, 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 need, you, need, a, you need something new and you haven't got the money in one lump, save for it, that's fine. But to just simply accumulate and accumulate foolish. Then we've got Mark 4. We've got the parable of the sower. Very well known parable. Where basically Jesus says a man went out and he sowed the seed and it fell on different soil. Some fell on the rocky path. Some fell on shallow soil. Some fell on soil with weeds in it. Some fell on uh, good soil. And then the disciples didn't understand the parable. And so they explained it to them. And he says this, Mark 4, 16. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately... Sorry, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan, immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. He takes it away. So it never goes in. They hear the word, it's it's gone. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but have no root in themselves. There's no root. It's shallow. They endure for a while, but then tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, they fall away immediately. The others are the ones sown among thorns. They're those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Nothing grows in the end because other things that are still in the heart wrap around it and they choke it. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It's abundant. That's God's plan. Abundant yield for what he puts in you. But there's these three things, you see, the cares of this world. Food, drink, clothes, the deceitfulness of riches. Money is constantly promising you just a little bit more, and you'll be able to have this. Life's going to be amazing. The lust for other things. More, more. More, no contentment, more. But those things will choke what God is doing in you. And final warning, perhaps the most powerful one, then we'll do Q&A, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now bear in mind, I was once walking on the street and I found a flyer to a Christian conference which was entitled, How to Become Exceedingly Rich. And on the picture it was a tap and coming out of it was 50 pound notes. For a Christian conference. Now listen to this. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, 
evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So whoever went to that conference, how to become exceedingly rich, when they walked into that conference, the people welcoming them, figuratively speaking, were handing them daggers and swords. There you go, sir. What do I do with this? Well, you turn it on yourself. And as you're hearing this teaching, you just prod yourself all over your body with it. Because that's what this teaching is. You're killing yourself. It's horrible. It's ugly. It's greedy. It's selfish. It's Western materialism disguised, not even subtly, as Christian prosperity. It's horrible. So, God wants to bless you. As a wise steward over his creation, you extend his rule. He wants to bless you and make you a blessing. He promises that as you invest in his kingdom uh, and invest in, in the things of God, use your finances in that way, that he will, he will supply your needs and will give you what you need to keep on being generous. But he warns you the whole time to guard your heart against the love of money. Okay, questions and answers. Ruth, excellent question, brilliant. Okay, first question, student, students. Any of you here students? Just a few, all right, okay. Up to your neck in debt? Any of you up to your neck in debt? Yeah, okay, all right. What do you do? At my last church, we used to teach students, just don't give. Because we were very, very aware of this situation. What changed me once was when a student came up to me afterwards and just said, you know what, I feel like in this church I'm being robbed of the blessing that comes from giving. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Those moments where you're just really not expecting to hear that. I was like, ah, oh, okay. Uh, and I, I don't even know, what, I can't remember what I said. And so here's what I'm saying. You are not under compulsion to give. You're simply not. If you want to give out of that, then I don't think it's wrong because you're being given that money and you're to steward it well. Okay? So you probably spend it on Mars bars sometimes. Maybe even coffee when you're not thirsty. I don't know. Maybe the old iPhone when your Nokia 92 was working great. Yeah. So I think we just need to be honest about the fact that it probably doesn't all go on textbooks and cabbage. Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> so the question is, so the question is, how do we, how do we steward it well? And I, 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 what I, would, I would want the students in the church to feel released to invest in the church, but not under compulsion. That's how I, think, I, feel that, I feel really comfortable with that, and I mean that genuinely from my heart. Okay? The second question, which was about saving but not five-year plans thing. Okay, let me just clarify. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a five-year plan as long as you hold it very, very lightly. So if you say, I'd love to be here, in, I'd love to be here, God willing, in this amount of time, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. My problem is, is that when people, it's like the thing in James where it says, don't say we're going to go here next year and we're going to make money and then we'll go on to there. Your life's a miss. You don't even know what you're going to do tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it can be a pride and an ungodly arrogance in that. And so I think you've got to hold it light. So, for example, if I'm saving for something, that money's God's. Because it's all God's. Right? So when he says, hey, I don't go, 
put my hands over my ears, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it's his. And that actually can be quite a big deal to work through that one. But I would just, so what I would say is I think it's absolutely fine to say, but the whole time, you know, maybe a special offering comes up or you, there's a need and it wasn't what you expected, you just say, God, I just want you to know that, that that's yours again. And sometimes it does go to the why. It's a bit of an Isaac, Abraham and Isaac thing where you feel like, I remember there was a situation once, let me try and explain, I'll try and remember what happened. It was about going on a holiday. We, me and Davina got really excited about this holiday, really, really excited. And then suddenly I just felt this thing from God like, ain't going to happen. I wanted, to, I wanted to give it up. And I was like, oh, it was horrible. It really was horrible. And I thought, I've just got to really wrestle this one out with God. So I just went down the church building we used to have, and I was just, it was night time, and I'm walking around just wrestling, wrestling. It sounds crazy, but we had a really stressful life, and this holiday was like a real like, beacon of light for us, you know. So I'm just saying, God, and, I, and I, you know, you're just dealing with yourself. God, it's all yours, and just telling myself the truth. And in the end, I came to a place of real peace. I said, it's done, no problem. And it was almost in an instant I felt God say, have the holiday in Jerusalem. <laughs> it was like when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. So he got, does it and the sword's in the air. Oh, stop! I know you fear the Lord. And there are those moments where God does test our heart in it as well. So I would just say keep, keep an open hand and an open heart with it. Is that, is that helpful? Is that okay? Great. That's an excellent question. Is it wrong to work out outgoings, etc., before you decide to put in the offering? By way of a principle, the way we've done it is that we've, we, we've gone for the first fruits principle where we've just said, God, you, we're going to give you this. You know? Now, I think at that point, when we do the sums, you've got to bring in a mix of faith and a mix of sensible stewardship. Okay? So that you're not actually doing something. You're saying it's in faith, but it's not in faith. You're hating every minute of it. <laughs> You know, because you think, this is terrible. You know, it's not that, but it's a sense of adventure, but it's also a sense of, no, I feel a conviction that this is, this is, decent, this is a decent thing. And I think uh, the first fruits thing is a big deal. But I think you should work out your outgoings when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're working out what am I going to give for my first fruits. Otherwise, how can you work it out? It's part of you being before God and working it out, okay? But I think once you've decided, there are times where that gets tested where it's important that you stick to it. So there's been times where we've said, this is what we're giving, you know, this is our month, this is what we're giving. And then suddenly you get five parking tickets, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh, mate, you know. And what do you do at that, at that point, what do I do? We give what we've decided. Because I think there's something of a, it's something of a, it's a bit of a, it's a challenge to what you've decided before God. Does that make sense? So it's like, no, I'm not going to be intimidated by that. I'm going to trust God. So, so I would say, take all things into account and get good advice from godly people you trust when you're going to work out, if you are on a salary and you get regular income, when you're working out what to give. These things help you. you haven't got, it's not they decide, but just get some advice, you know, and be before God and be, wait for the, the Bible says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So get peace on it. In the sense of, yeah, this is, I feel comfortable with this and it's really, I can do this cheerfully. I always say, if you can't do it cheerfully, keep it. You know, it's, I can do this cheerfully and, 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 and yeah, I'm out on a limb. I feel like there's a sense of trusting God in it. I would say that's what you're looking for. And don't, don't panic when you do it. Just be peaceful. God will lead you. God will guide you. Um, but if you have been in an environment where it's been quite heavy church-wise on the finances, there can be some stuff to undo in terms of legalism, pressure, and kind of a sense of, ah, you know, panic. No, I say God will lead you. God will show you. Is that okay? Great. Sarah? Yes. If you push the whole thing of only going to get what I need thing, it really does end up pretty unusual. I mean, how much do you need? 
The key is Philippians 4, where Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content with plenty and being content with want. Okay? So you, there's nothing wrong with, with buying stuff that you don't need. There isn't. If you make a habit of indulging yourself whilst you, you, you get sucked into the narcissism of the West, you know, it's all about me and the things that I want, you get sucked in and drawn into that, you get seduced by the advertising, if that, you need to watch that because it's a lie. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? If they put up a phone and they say, discover the new you. What? Hold on. So what? When I buy that phone, what's going to happen? This is amazing. So what? Like, you know, you mean suddenly I'm going to, what, I'm going to get pecs and a six-pack? What? What are you saying? My, my, my ears aren't going to stick out anymore? What are you saying? What? I'm going to be able to win, make friends and influence people? What are you saying? No, it's nonsense. It's a lie. It's a lie. There will not be a new me when I buy that phone. What will happen is I'll be excited for two days. Yeah? Because I've got a new ringtone. <laughs> so you just got to spot the lies and the seduction and not get drawn in. Okay? But God gives us all things for our enjoyment, the Bible says. So it's okay to get something to enjoy. To enjoy. It's cool. There's a hand coming. Yeah. Well, when I was in the, in the tithing scene, that was a big deal. Because when do you move the dot? <laughs> when do you move the decimal point? Before or after? I think when, you rele- when you're released from tithing, you're released from that. Just released from that. Lord, what, 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 what are we, we going to do? <laughs> you see what I mean? It's kind of like totally just a blank sheet. So I, I, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, I think if you're, in a, if you're, if you're visiting, you may, I know, you're, you know if you're in other church and they teach tithing, honour them. I would say honour them. You know, it's fine. I don't want to be disruptive or divisive. But I would say that part of coming out of the tithing thing is that you can just literally have a blank, a blank sheet and make the call. Two hands. Is it the same question or different questions? Yeah. Well, my first church is a New Frontiers church. I taught tithing. I think here's the thing, and I, I may be wrong and it may be unfair, but here's the thing, you see. If I teach tithing, then in my heart, I feel safer. Why? Well, the church pays my wage. If I teach tithing and I do the maths, yeah, then it's going to be all right if everyone does what I say. If I teach be before God, Anything could happen. I could be down the job centre tomorrow, yeah? So it's, 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 it's more surefire, but I feel like teaching what this teaches in the, in the New Covenant, what it does is it grows you in your relationship with God. It brings you to maturity, hearing God's voice, making decisions, not just being told laws. You know, people, people actually want legalism, actually, a lot of times. Tell me what to do. <laughs> it's like, well, here's the principles, work it through with God. So how wide is it? I don't know. I don't know. It, it might be real weirdy stuff. I don't know. And the only, only one who says it, I don't know. But I feel like it's, I feel like it's scriptural. I mean, the old covenant and new covenant, there are differences between the two. And you've got to work out which ones carry on, which ones change, and how do they change. So you've got to be able to bridge it. If I just preached Malachi to you and that was it, bring in the tithe, I would not be serving you well. It's an old covenant passage. So we've got to, to treat it, we have to work it into the new covenant. How does it work? So that's why I did it like that. Just understand my thinking behind it. But you probably need to do a bit of research and find out on that. Is that okay? One more question, then we'll do the hard one. This one I'm thinking about the hard question. I'll answer an easy one. Adam. Globalization raises massive issues for us, doesn't it? Because we're suddenly very aware that the coffee that we're drinking could, could potentially feed a family for a day in another part of the world. 
So how do we deal with it? Well, I think we deal with it in two ways. I think, first of all, we wake up to a sense of responsibility for our brothers and sisters around the world, and we find ways of meaningfully investing in them, either through the local church or through other organizations that you trust are going to do a good job with the money. The other side to it is that I see Jesus at weddings. I see Jesus at parties. I see Paul saying, I've learned the secret of being content with plenty or in want. I don't see, I don't see Christians living guilt-ridden lives for having nice things in the Bible. And so I think you've got to guard against that because it will kill you. It will just kill you. Now, you want it to hurt you. You want to fill God's heart and you want to invest meaningfully. But, uh, so you've got to hear that. You've got to hear that. But we come back to Sarah's thing in terms of how far, how far do you want to take it? Do you really need that thick duvet? People with, uh, I mean, you've got, to, you've got to somehow work it out radically, and I would say this radically, work it out. Don't just try and, quick, someone say something comforting. Work it out radically, feel it, okay? But then you don't also want to live just a guilt-ridden life either. It's okay to have a cup of coffee. Again, you must say, there's a lot of loose ends in what you just said, I know. Work it out. Work it out. There's no hard and fast rules, but you've got to get God's heart, and you've got to understand God's heart for the poor, especially the underprivileged, and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to really walk in that well. You really have. There's lots of challenge there for us. The final question, what about the Christians who, if it seems like God isn't meeting their needs in the world, and you know, it would be in famine situations, or you know, what's going on there? I'm going to end on this. It's been long, and I, I told you it would be long, so at least I warned you. But hopefully it's given you something to really chew over. So we're going to end on this. So here's a situation. I won't read the whole passage. I did this morning, but it's a passage in Revelation which talks about the judgments of God, where the scrolls are being opened and different things are happening. And you get four different coloured horses riding out, the power rider and the, you know, the red horse and the black. And they represent different things. One of them represents authority given to bring swords, uh, war, pestilence and famine over a quarter of the earth. And here's my question. If you happen to live in that quarter of the earth and you're a Christian, will your saucepan miraculously fill up every day? I don't think it will. I don't think it will. So how does that work with that promise? I don't know. It's part of the tension of the fact that the kingdom has come in Christ, but it's not yet fully come. Satan is still on the loose. Yeah? Agreed? There are lots of terrible things that happen. There's governments that stop aid, get into certain people groups because they want to kill them off. All these things happen. And if you're in a context like that, then you are likely, even as a believer, to come under that. You live in a, in a city, as a believer, you're more likely to come face-to-face with crime situations and maybe even be the victim of a crime. If loads of axemen ran in here now, um, you know, they wouldn't just somehow be able to work out, who are the ones that don't know Jesus? You know, we'll get them. No. Are there promises that God will protect in the Bible? Yes. Are there promises that God will provide in the Bible? Yes, there are. I've given you testimonies. I know it's true. Absolutely. Is it a formulaic thing, though? Clearly it isn't. Clearly it isn't. And I think you've got to walk that tension in every aspect of your Christian life, not just this one. Believe God for healing. His name is Jehovah Rapha, and the God that heals you is in his nature to heal. Does everyone we pray for get healed? No. The Bible says it's the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to knowledge of the truth. All right, has everyone 
I've preached the gospel to been saved. No. So you're pressing on and you're pressing into something of an ever-increasing kingdom whilst you're aware that the battle is raging. It is kicking off. People are being taken out by their own sin, their own rebellion. There's, there's whole demonic principalities over nations causing all... I mean, it is all just kicking off in the meantime that the kingdom's being established. And I think we live in that tension. We worship in that tension. We give in that tension. We trust God in that tension. That is the Christian life, isn't it? So although that has probably left you with a thousand more loose ends, I want to introduce you to proper, mature theology, not naive answers that sound all right in one setting but don't work in another. Okay? So I'll preach wholeheartedly on these promises of provision. And I, will, I, I believe God for it. And I, and I will say, you are to believe God for it. Have there been situations where I've gone to a station trusting God for the money and it hasn't come yet? And then walked back to my mum's house and my head hung low. I said, mum, can I have five pounds? But I've known miracles that are so clearly miracles. So clearly miracles. I want to share them with you. Is that okay?